0: You're listening to the Steve Pinto Podcast, the sermons, the lectures, and devotionals of Steve Pinto, hoping to bring you encouragement for your daily life. Today, I want to speak to you about, as the great philosopher and theologian, Nacho Libre said, the nitty gritty. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. We're going to talk today about the essential of preaching the message of the cross and how vital the gospel is. So in our theme in chapels this semester, we're talking about trusting the process. Essentially, what I'm speaking to you about today is what are the essentials needed for the journey? So let's pray. So Father, as we come before you, we ask, Lord, that you would quiet our spirit and open our ears to hear what the spirit has for us today, what the spirit has for the church today. And so we ask Lord that you would speak to us, instruct us, exhort us, heal us, encourage us. In Jesus name we pray, amen and amen. So for the past two weeks or so, more this past week, we have heard much about the wars and the rumor of wars. And we, um, as a collective people, are beginning to fear that the peace that we've enjoyed around the world, more specifically in Europe, could uh, be broken for a very long time. In fact, I heard this week an American official say, you are likely in the last few hours of peace on the European continent for a very long time. And so we've seen through the news that After weeks of Russia making promises that they would not invade Ukraine, they did indeed invade Ukraine. And although many things are unclear right now, and although we don't know what tomorrow may bring, we may somehow see that the sanctions that the West has given Russia could maybe force the Russians back, or maybe the, the strengthened resistance of the Ukrainians can push the Russian army out of their capital and their country. Or perhaps the people of Russia stand up against Putin and say, we don't want this invasion to happen. Or maybe this whole thing just spirals out of control, and then we have World War III in our hands. This could be a reality. We don't know what the future may hold. Maybe when it's all said and done, as we already have hundreds, maybe thousands of people dead. So what can we say to this? How do we respond to this? As we see this on our TVs and on our phones, where can we find hope in dark days? Well, I'm here to remind you that As Christians, biblically speaking, we don't only have hope for, we have hope in. We not only have hope for, but we have hope in. We have hope in what Christ has already done for us. It is already a certainty that Christ has come, that God has sent his Redeemer, his Savior, his Messiah, Jesus, God in man form who came to live, to die, and rose from the dead. Our hope is in Christ, a certainty. Sometimes we basically say our hope is for an uncertainty. We're hoping for something that uh, uh, turns our way. We're hoping for this to turn out like this, or this to turn out like that. But let me tell you, our hope... For Christians is settled. Our hope is on the message of the cross and on the Messiah Jesus Christ. Somebody say Amen. 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 Man, all hell can be breaking loose, but our hope is secure because our hope is in Jesus Christ. Somebody say Amen. Amen. That's why our joy is in God. Go ahead, give the Lord a loud hand and clap. No, I said, give the Lord a loud hand and clap. There you go our message is on the message of the cross, the gospel, on the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the simplicity of the gospel that sometimes we stumble over. And so yes, we have hope for the the kingdom come, but even as we go through unsettling times, we have hope in the cross and what God has done i reminded of Matthew chapter 24 as the apostles and some of the disciples are asking Jesus about some uh, uncertainties and some stuff that's going on around them that they don't fully understand. And then in Matthew 24 verses 4 through 8, Jesus gives somewhat of a warning, uh, somewhat of a reality check to the disciples as he says there in Matthew 24. uh, Watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and I will, and will deceive many. Verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And so Jesus said that there would be a time where there would be wars and rumors of wars and pandemics and things of this nature. Uh, Jesus wasn't like the beauty queen who said, um, I want peace on earth right now. Jesus was giving us the reality of the world in which we were going to live, especially as we're thinking about the, uh, the end of times, if you will. And then he says there, uh, he, he makes no issues, no, no false promises of a peace that, that was to come. That peace is only going to be realized when kingdom comes, when Jesus does come. But until then, there is wars, and then there is rumors of wars. And so that is why our hope is in Christ, in what He has done for us. Because ultimately, we have been saved. We are being saved, and ultimately will be saved. I want you to think about this, because in our main passage today in 1 Corinthians, Paul is reminding us that ultimately, God's wisdom, God's intelligence, is greater than any human wisdom or any human intelligence. And so sometimes when things like this happen, the wars and the rumors of wars and pandemics and things of this nature, we are reminded that uh, human wisdom and human intelligence from God's perspective many times can be foolishness. And so sometimes we believe, we're tempted to believe that we are in some sort of moral evolution, that somehow as human beings, we're becoming better That we're better than those who came before us. That we're we're evolving into something greater than those people in the past before us. But the Bible reminds us, and the wars and rumors of wars reminds us, that we still got the same problems. Yeah, we got greater technology, perhaps greater comfort, but sin is still an issue. And sin is still in the hearts of men and women. And if anything, that technology and that advancement has just made man more creative in their sin. And all human solutions are simply temporary and they are not permanent. Human solutions sound impressive. They radiate some sort of optimism. But it is ultimately always temporary and it, and it fails to pinpoint what the problem of the issue is. What is the problem? The problem is sin. And the solution is Jesus Christ. We have hope in Jesus Christ. And so as we look around us, we see people still go hungry. There is social injustice. There is war and rumors of war. There is greed. There is political maneuvering, right? We watch the failure of people trying to uh, handle the, the panic of a pandemic or how uh, in their human wisdom, we are trying to solve an economic crisis and inflation. We look uh, at the wisdom of man trying to solve the the, 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 the sex-infested in Uh, streets, and social media of our days. We look around at the blood-soaked, stained uh, uh, corners of our neighborhoods in our urban cities. We still have the same problems. Don't believe the lie that somehow we have some moral superiority that humans uh, in the past never had. We still are dealing with sin. And in our passage, Paul's reminding us, reminding the Corinthians that man's intelligence ultimate, ultimately falls short and he reminds us about the essential of the message of the cross. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with some divisions that are occurring in the church. One is uh, one of the divisions just happens to uh, be around uh, people in the church having a preference in terms of leadership. So some people say, I, I, I like the academic, uh, the academics of Apollo's. Because he was educated in Alexandria, so I like him. Others were saying, I like Paul, because Paul was our founder, and so I'm just sticking to my guns, you know, because yeah, he was our founder, and so I'm going to be loyal to him. Others look, uh, were saying, no, I prefer Peter, because Peter, he walked with Jesus, you know what I'm saying? They were saying, I relate to Peter, because, you know, he, he, he's, got this, uh, um, he's got this temperament that reminds me of me, so I prefer Peter. And then some other super spiritual are saying, I don't even follow a leader. I only follow Christ. Right? So there was this division about leadership. And then kind of Paul reminds them that, you know, leaders are just um, um, servants of Christ. Nothing more. They're not celebrities. In fact, you know, I, I'm scared when we care more about what, a, uh, what shoes a preacher is wearing than what he is preaching. And so, uh, we have here the preference of, uh, of leadership, of preachers, and Paul reminds, uh, Paul reminds them that leaders are servants of Christ, and although you may have a preference, ultimately, God can use anybody to speak to you. God can use anybody. Now, the second reason for, the, for division within the Corinthian church was more philosophical, perhaps, Maybe a a theological practice division there that kind of Paul begins to deal with in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. I just quickly want to highlight some of these divisions that I think are going to help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Or again, as the philosopher and theologian uh, Nacho Libre said, let's get down to the nitty gritty. What is really important? Look, here's the first thing. Paul deals with the divisive issue of baptism within the Corinthian church, and he's going to say that the preaching of the cross is more important than baptizing. What? What are you talking about, Paul? Baptism? I the baptism was important. I thought it was good. What is he saying? Look at verse 17. First Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Woo! Okay, so Paul here is dealing with uh, an emphasis of ministry here, perhaps, in the church. And so uh, there were some within the church, apparently, that uh, had been baptized by Paul, and so they thought that they were spiritually superior to others in the church because they had been baptized by the church founder, by the apostle, uh, to the Gentiles. And so there was these groups and perhaps these levels of spirituality that had been set within the church saying, oh, because I was baptized by Paul and not, you know, not the deacon of the church or the brother over there and baptized you, but I was baptized by Paul. That makes me somehow much more superior to you than somebody else. So this speaks of some sort of division that was taking place concerning who baptized you, who baptized me, and whoever baptized you and whoever baptized me validates just how uh, much better I am than you. But not only that, I think there's also here an an emphasis. Paul is making an emphasis because he's bringing us back to the nitty-gritty, to the essentials. What is essentially more important? Baptism or is it the preaching of the gospel? Well, Paul is going to make it very clear. He's going to say, the Lord sent me to preach, not to baptize. So stop making divisions within the church about who baptized who and who baptized uh, this person or the other. And so theologically speaking, Paul is, is bringing us back to the essential of the gospel and just the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel. What saves us? The message of the cross, the preaching of Jesus. We need Jesus more than ever. We need to preach the word more than ever, because the gospel clearly identifies what the problem is, sin. Because the gospel clearly identifies how we solve it, Jesus Christ. It is only the gospel that clearly identifies what the problem is and what the solution is. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, to emphasize one thing does not devalue the other. To emphasize one, does not devalue the other. This is where context is so important here. Because you do remember that the Great Commission, Jesus did tell us to go make, baptize, and teach. And so D- Jesus did send us to go and what? Baptize. But the point that Paul is making here is like, I'm bringing you back to the essence. What's what's more important? Well, um, in, in church history, we use, uh, we use uh, some terms that sometimes can mince... Uh, uh, it... it, it It's difficult for us to kind of understand its application. For example, uh, in in some uh, religious circles, we use the word sacrament to explain the baptism of somebody or the uh, communion or the partaking of communion. And sometimes, although the word sacrament means religious act, sometimes we attach to those sacraments um, a special um value that says because you've done the sacrament you are now saved and so by our actions we're saying we are saved because i was baptized i was saved or because i'm partaking of the lord's supper i am saved but paul is saying let me come back to the essentials is the preaching of the gospel the preaching of the cross that saves us what saves us is the work of jesus we are saved by grace it is god's mercy it is God's grace. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Even a thing called baptism. See, baptism, I like to call it more like an ordinance. Jesus told us to do it, and it is a way by which we experience God's means of grace. In other words, when we because we've been saved, we get baptized and then we experience uh, physically, the reality that is uh, that uh, of the spiritual uh, rebirth that has happened in Christ. And so, we experience when we are dumped in water the, uh, the death of who we are. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but yet we are renewed in Christ, we're a new creation in Christ. And so, that symbolism points to the reality of what has taken place in our soul and in our lives. But we're saved here in this action, not in this one. And so, Paul is emphasizing baptism is important, but preaching is essential. One is essential, the other is not. Perhaps this can help you. I ran into some sort of a poem. It's entitled, The Theology of the Thief on the cross, and it goes like this. I've been thinking about the thief on the cross. How would he fit into any mainline theology today? The odds would have been stacked against him. There was no baptism, no communion for him, no confirmation, he didn't speak in tongues. He had never been on a missions trip. He never volunteered, no church clothes. He could not bend his knee or fold his hands to pray. And he didn't say the sinner's prayer. And let's face it, among other things, he was indeed a thief. Jesus didn't take away his pain. Jesus didn't heal his body. Jesus didn't spite the scoffers or remove the fear of dying from him. Yet, the thief walked into heaven at the same hour as Jesus by simply believing There was nothing more he could offer than his belief that Jesus was who he said he was. And in the middle of his worst hour and in intense trauma, he simply looked over to Jesus and said, remember me, I believe. And my friends, that is the gospel at its purest form. Jesus on a cross, saving Someone who is spiritually bankrupt like you and me. How deep is your sin? What is your greatest shame? It doesn't take God by surprise. He loved you on your worst day. Think of your worst day. The measure of His love on that day is the same measure of love He has for you right here. You're in Bible school in a chapel. He loves us because He is love, not because we're lovable. This is, this is the gospel in its purest form. And Paul is saying, let's come back to the nitty-gritty, to that which is essential. Let's remember the message of the cross. He didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel because that's what saves people. All right, here's a, another divisive issue. Number two, the divisive issue of philosophy. And so Paul now is going to say that preaching was more important than the Greek philosophy of the day. So it continues in verse 17. Let me read it just one more time. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of His power. Woo! I love this. Because sometimes we think that what saves us is the lights, the spectacle, and the entertainment of somebody's preaching. Mm -mm. I mean, it can help, but what saves us is the message. The method and the messenger... God can use anybody. God can use the greatest theologian like He can use a donkey. But it's the message that can save us. And so here Paul is making a reference to the Greek emphasis on public speaking in terms of eloquence, excellent rhetoric, good diction, high-sounding words, colorful language, this oratory ability that the Greeks emphasized, that the Corinthians, in the letter, it actually tells us that the Corinthians thought Paul was not a very good public speaker. And so they thought because he's not as entertaining as some others, then something must be wrong with him. But then here, Paul is saying that he's preaching the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, meaning with that Greek emphasis, but really what saves us is what? Is the message of the cross. So that the cross may not be emptied of its power. Look, someone can preach a very entertaining message and you may respond to it and accept Christ. And you may uh, and, and ultimately we're gonna find out if what you responded was to entertainment or to the message. Because what saves you is the power of the cross. Through the Spirit, He brings conviction to your heart and tells you, you are a sinner in need of God. And only the Spirit can take those words and apply them to your heart like nothing else. Whether there is light or no light. Whether there is eloquence or no eloquence. It's it's the power of the message of the gospel. It still saves people. It's our only hope. It's the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel that makes Human wisdom, foolish. Because every smart, intelligent, human person thinks they got, and oh, we figured it out. We got it. And they got their theories. Oh, we got it. We know where we came from. We know where it all started. We know how to set the rules and the morality. We know what the purpose is. And we know what's going to happen afterwards. We, we figured this out. And they call them theories. And they figure it out. But Jesus comes along... The message of the gospel comes along and, and in its purest form identifies who, that we, where we came from, what is our purpose, what is our meaning, how do we establish morality, and where the heck we're going to go after we die. Clearly, the, the, in the simplest form, the gospel identifies the problem and the solution. So notice how Paul continues to do this in verse 18. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's two responses to the message of the gospel. You either think it's foolishness or you think it's power. What do you think of the gospel message? Think it's foolishness? We're wasting our time? It's doing nothing for me? It's not helping me with my daily troubles? Maybe you're hoping for something instead of having hope in something. And so... Paul is saying here, says the message of the cross is foolishness to those. It's not foolishness. It is it, 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 it is viewed as foolishness by people who are perishing. Because they are trusting in their human wisdom rather than in the message of Christ. So there's basically two reactions. Foolishness or to those of us who have been saved by God, it is the power of God. Because we've, we've experienced the unleashing of every spiritual blessing at the moment the gospel was given to us. It is the cross that unleashes every spiritual blessing that's been given to you. You are now justified. You're being sanctified. You will be glorified. You've been given the power to be called children of God. You've been forgiven. You've been given the garment of righteousness. Your sins have been erased. What should have been judged unto you was given to Jesus. You have been given the gift of eternal life. All this has been unleashed at the cross. It, it is power of God that saves the greatest of sinners. The power of God can save anybody by just simply believing. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying something something is foolishness. But for those of us that have experienced salvation, we know it's the power of God. Uh, Paul kind of speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 2.14. He says, For the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. But we know, those of us that are saved, that the power of God releases every spiritual blessing in our lives. The the cross releases hope in and hope for. The cross releases peace with God and peace within. It releases joy in the midst of trouble. It breaks the chains of bondage of sin in our daily lives. It promises complete deliverance of the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin in the future. This is why Paul, in Romans 1.16, he says, "'For I am not ashamed of the gospel,' Because it is what? The power of God unto salvation. Uh, the, uh, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He continues in verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. I love that verse. Right here Paul, as, as the young people would say, right here Paul's getting gangster. He's saying, I'm going, for it is written, he's quoting Isaiah 29, 14, that God frustrates the wisdom and the intelligence of man. They think they got it figured out. Oh, we got, we got the theory, we got it. We're gonna call it the evolutionary theory. Okay, and then we're gonna say we came from nothing. We're here by chance. Okay, good, excellent. Okay, so if we're here by chance, there's then ultimately no purpose to life. Okay, excellent. No purpose to love. Got it. All right. So if there is no moral authority called God, then who gets to set the rules for this thing? Well, anybody. Whatever you want to make it. Okay, good. Excellent. This is my thing. Okay, then what happens after we die? We've got to figure We, gotta figure, we figure this out. All right. So what happens after we die? All right. Then uh, we, they just turn off the lights and that's it. All right. Excellent. We got it. And then we call them the wise people. And they call us foolish. We got it figured out. And then God says, wait, wait, hold on. I'm going to frustrate their wisdom. Let me try to uh, uh, to, uh, exemplify this with two quotes that I absolutely love. One from Robert Jastrow. He was an American astronomer, physicist, and cosmologist. And he says this. At this very moment... It seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. And, he pulls, and as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> He's saying all these wise men and intelligent men or trying to figure it out, one day when they finally get to uh, 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 done scaling the mountain of their intelligence and wisdom, all of us pastors and theologians are going to be like, we told you so, God created us. The problem was sin. Salvation was Jesus. the only hope in you. That's what he's saying. Furthermore, David Berlinski, he's a, an author, he's an agnostic, um, he's an authority in mathematics and biology. He says this, Has anyone provided a proof of God's inexistence? Not even close. Has quantum cosmology explained the emergence of the universe or why it is here? Not even close. Have the sciences explained why our universe seems to be fine-tuned to allow the existence of life? Not even close. Are physicists and biologists willing to believe in anything as long as it is not religious thought? Close enough. Has rationalism and moral thought provided us with an understanding of what is good, what is right, and what is moral? Not close enough. Has secularism in the terrible 20th century been a force for good? Not even close to being close. Is there a narrow, oppressive orthodoxy of thought and opinion within the sciences? Close enough. Does anything in the sciences or in their philosophy justify the claim that religious belief is irrational? Not even in the ballpark. Is scientific atheism a frivolous exercise in intellectual contempt? Dead on. I hope you got that. The cool thing is that we're recording it, so maybe you can go back and listen to that. But it's basically saying exactly what Paul is saying here. That God frustrates. God frustrates the intelligence and the wisdom of man because God is more intelligent than the most intelligent man. You know what I'm saying? So he continues. Check this out. As I said, like the young people say, he continues to be gangster here. Look at this in verse 20. Where is the wise person? Where you at? Where is the teacher of the law? Where are you at? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? He's getting down to the nitty-gritty, the essential, and how the, the message of the cross is more significant, more powerful than the wisdom of man. And so where is the wise person? He's talking here about the wise people of his time that came from Babylon, from Egypt, from Greece, from Rome. And then in all their knowledge and in all their philosophy, what did they do to contribute to this idea of salvation or identifying the problem of sin? See, the wise person is the people that I call in modern day the relativist or the humanist who believes that man is the center of the universe And that truth is entirely personal. And so the relativists and the humanists, their gospel is one of political correctness and it promises something that it cannot deliver. This is what Paul is saying. Where's the wise man and what have they done to contribute to saving your soul? In fact, uh, Friedrich uh, Nietzsche wrote, You have your way, I have my way. As for the right way, it does not exist. Because there is no God, because there's no absolute authority, then everybody gets to make up whatever the right way is. But you know what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul Kurtz, in his book, The Humanist Alternative, he sums up the end result of those who don't believe in God like this. If a man is a product of evolution, one species among others, in a universe without purpose, then man's option is to live for himself. That's what man's wisdom leads us to, to live for ourselves rather than to live for God. Jesus said that if you want to if you want to follow Him, you have to be willing to lay down your life, lose your life. And then Paul asked the question: where's the teacher of the law? The teacher of the law, this is a description of the Jewish scholars and the scribes in Paul's time, who, in religious, in a religious sense, went beyond. Where they, uh, they added or they multiplied, they subtracted or divided from the gospel. This is what I call the modern day universalists or the modern day Pharisees, because you, how many of you know that Pharisees still exist today? See, the universalists, they add and they multiply to the gospel. They say, uh, there's many ways to, to Jesus. There's many ways to God, I should say. Any religion can lead to God. The Pharisee says, you have to do much more than just believe in Christ. You have to fulfill this list of things, and then you're cool. And if you're cool with me, then we'll let you into heaven. That's what Paul is saying here. Where is, where is this teacher? And he's bringing it back to the new degree. And then one more thing, he says, where is the philosopher of the age? He's talking about the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans said that the purpose of life was uh, a hedonism or pleasure. Why do you live? Well, if it feels good, do it. Why not? We call it YOLO. You only live once, so try everything. That's the purpose of life. Or the Stoics. The Stoics are kind of like the opposite of that. Is that self-control and dominate? And don't be moved by absolutely anything. And so Paul is saying, no. Let's come back to the beauty and to the simplicity of the gospel. Let's come back to the message of the cross. In verse twenty-one, notice he continues for since the for since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him. This is why you're essential. Because you're the messenger of the cross. And people are not going to come to know God through the wisdom and intelligence of man, but through the gospel. Notice what he says. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. It's the preaching of the gospel that's essential. It's the beauty of in the simplicity of the gospel that is viewed as foolishness to those who are perishing. We need to come back to preaching the gospel. Jesus makes a difference. And then I'll finish, I'll finish with this. So number one was the divisive issue of baptism. The second one was the divisive issue of philosophy. The third one is the divisive issue of phenomena, what I'm calling phenomena here. Now I'm using this word to mean signs, miracles, the spiritual things, and so forth. And so notice uh, the divisive history of phenomena, and then Paul's going to say that preaching is more important than phenomena. So notice in verse 22 Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Notice a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Okay, so the the Corinthian church is made out of these two people, the Jewish and the Greek. Now, the Jewish have a religious background uh, uh, based on the Old Testament religion. And then the Greeks are basing their life mostly on their secular cultural life based on Greek philosophy and the Roman government and so forth. And so, he summarizes for us kind of like what their desires are. See, the Jews want more of the miraculous, more spirituality more experience the Greeks they want the gospel to be more uh, more intelligent more academic more they wanted it to sound more wise and intelligent and so we have one side of the church saying we want more signs we want more of the presence we want everybody jumping we want God healing people we want everybody speaking in tongues we want to experience God god if you show us then we believe we demand signs and then we have the Greeks over here saying, no, there's got to be more to this. i gotta be full, I, I got to have a full understanding of this. It's got to fit in with what the world says. It's got to sound more academic. It's got to sound more important. It's got to fit in with my degrees. Mm-hmm. And so Jews demand signs. Greeks are looking for wisdom. And then Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. That's the essence. What are we going to do? We're going to focus on preaching Christ. And then he says, That's a stumbling block. See, if you're seeking only for signs, or if you're only, if you're demanding signs, or if you're looking only for wisdom, you're going to trip over Christ. You're just going to fall. It's a trip. Some of us say, God, just show me a sign. Show me a sign that I'll believe, God. Do a miracle and then I'll believe. Or some of us, uh, others of us, Uh, We lose our faith. We're like, oh God, you didn't heal my mom and she died. And so I don't believe in you anymore. Because we demand the sign. Well, Paul, Paul is saying the sign has already been given. What's the sign? Well, the sign is that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no greater miracle or sign than that. If you're demanding a sign then you need to put your hope in what Christ has done. He's already given you the sign and the miracle. It's called Jesus Christ. Come on somebody. In fact, Paul said this to the Jews in Matthew 12:39. Jesus said this to the Jews in Matthew 12:39. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. That is to say, his life, his death, and his resurrection. (sighs) God, would you just like show yourself to me? He has, in the person of Jesus Christ. God, why don't you just come down here and tell me what to do? He did, in the person of Jesus Christ. God won't you just show me a sign. He did in the person of Jesus. You demand a sign? He's done it already. Is Jesus not enough for you? (laughs) And then the Greeks are like, we're seeking for wisdom. It's got to be more than this. And then Jesus, he is wisdom. And in the simplicity of the gospel, he clearly identifies who you are. You are a sinner in need of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he he and in the gospel, the wisdom, in God's wisdom, he chooses to save us through his son, through the basis of faith and belief. And he says, While we were yet sinners, scripture says, He died for us. He didn't wait for you to get better, he didn't wait for you to start walking straight, going to Bible college. No, oh, he saved you. While you were still sinner, he died for you. And then As it says in Romans, if you believe in your heart, confess through the mouth, you will be saved. This is the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel that sometimes people just trip over. You're looking for signs, you're looking for wisdom, and in the process, you're tripping over Jesus. Let's come back to the nitty-gritty. We need to preach the gospel. It's our only hope. Let me say amen. amen. I'm going to ask you to please stand and let's pray. Let's come before God today. And so, Father, we do come before you. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. Sorry for trusting in our ingenuity and intelligence and wisdom. Sorry for putting our our trust and our hope in the words of man and not on Jesus. Thank you for reminding us today of the essential of the message of the cross. It is the power of God unto salvation. It's not man's wisdom, it's not man's theory, it's not man's intelligence that saves us, but it is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Today we rejoice in the beauty of the gospel the simplicity of the gospel that has saved us. Thank you for saving us. Me, the worst of sinners, you have saved me. That's the power of God. No one is too far that you cannot save. And so we thank you for making us alive. That's the power of God. We were dead in our sins and transgressions, and you made us alive in Christ. Thank you for the salvation that you've given us through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of God. We'll never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. And keep us focused, for Lord, but focused on what you have done. May we not stumble over a demanding of signs and a seeking of wisdom, but that we would be reminded to come to the essence of the gospel, which is you, Jesus. So we love you. We thank you for our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, check out Steve's new book, The Silent Exodus, now available on all digital platforms.